what I would say for audiences to take, I hope, is just a positivity. I feel there's like a wholesomeness to what the film is about and it's not too deep and it's not, there's no strong messaging uh, in the film and that sort of thing. It's really uh, got a lot of heart and a lot of positivity and in how we treat each other in this world. And even though it might be the end of the world, everyone needs to be really good to each other. Like it's all we've got, you know, and everyone needs to care about each other and really value these relationships. And, um, and hopefully there's a nice feeling of hope at the end of the film. Your, your friend yeah you hey welcome to not a bomb podcast yeah it's a it's a little movie podcast we do it's you know we talk about these movies that uh you know they kind of bombed not a lot of people had a love for them but um you know what we're deeply connected emotional men that like to talk about our feelings and um we we like to connect so i i need to introduce my uh, partner here he's the uh ambassador to my Quan, none other than uh, mr brad anderson himself brad how are you tonight uh is that your sexy voice yeah it's yeah uh, okay it's okay. my valentine's voice since it's oh, valentine's day i'm nice trying to use my smooth talking skills i i appreciate it. it it's it's getting me somewhere i don't know where it's getting me but it's i'm going somewhere so uh i don't know about you i've got a you know candlelit room Got a nice drink poured. I'm I'm ready to talk some like romantic movies tonight, Brad. Oh yes, yes. Are you In ready? In a soft, deep voice. Yeah, <clears throat> I can't do this all night. I'm sorry. <laughs> like Nor can I listen already. to it all night. So, <laughs> I I'm just I <clears throat> no. There's zero smoothness on this side. Hey, oh, happy gosh. Valentine's Day, Brad. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day, buddy. Did you this have is, a good one? Uh, I saw I, this was your 23rd with your wife. Is that correct? Yeah, we we met on Valentine's Day 23 years ago. That's crazy because my wife and I went on a double date on like the 13th of February. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we've been together ever since. So I don't know if there's something magical about that time, but yeah. Well, hey, um, so it was a double date. We went to an anti-Valentine's Day party. We we went to a party that was celebrating like (laughs) not not finding love and not finding love. Yeah. And then uh, she she aggressively attacked me in the bathroom while I was trying to get in her phone number. So I was like, you know, I should marry this girl. Wow. Look at you now. Yeah, I know. That's well, listen, um, this, this was my pick this week and we have entered the 36 chambers of no, not a bomb. Yeah. This'll, this'll be a fun little discussion. So I've kind of talked about this movie already last year when we were going through some top picks of 2020 but the the home media release, the 4K, the Blu-ray, everything else came out in January. And instead of doing it back then, I, I wanted to save it for, because I mean, Brad, we're, we're romantic guys, right? So we're gonna pick a romantic movie like this one. So we're gonna talk about 2020's Love and Monsters. And- It's got on, the word love in it. Yeah, it's got the <laughs> word love counts. in it. It's, it's just right up our alley. And I thought this would also be fun to kind of talk about our, I guess our favorite romantic movies. So it could be a, a romantic comedy. Um, 
I don't know what what other genres are romantic drama. Yeah, romantic dramas. Romantic uh, action. Yeah, a thriller sure can have some like romantic side to it, right? Yeah, I, I think yeah. so. So yeah. I, I I I would you know like if if you were taking me on a date. Mm -hmm. And you were like, hey, let's go see this film. because It wouldn't you know, be it because we went on that date before and it did not end well. No, that was scary because <laughs> clowns are scary. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like clowns. Um, so no, we would not have a second date if you took me to a scary clown movie. Mm. But I thought, hey, let's, let's talk about our, our top three favorite um, romantic films. So I'm, I'm going to kick it over to you first, Brad. If what what's your number three i'm really curious because i'm telling you right now i have no idea what you're going to pick so i i'm going to put a disclaimer on this because i know people are expecting the notebook to be on my list so i i, I kept it off so i could talk about different films why does than... everybody like that film that movie's horrible <laughs> so because it's got ryan gosling you know Ugh. so uh but for my number three troy uh 1997's gigantic epic this boat is sinking Titanic directed Ooh. by one James Cameron. Um, you will catch a common theme with a lot of my romantic movies. Uh, the two leads have to have a strong connection. That's what I'm looking for. Troy is two people who are in love. So uh, it is undeniable the chemistry that Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet have in that movie. And I think having Billy Zane be like one of the best villains ever. I mean, he is literally trying to throw kids and women off these boats so he can leave. Um, you know, it, it's, it's one of the most popular movies of all time. Second, I believe to in game, but no third now. Right. Cause yeah. In game avatar this, but to be honest with you, I like it quite a bit. Um, you know, I had that two VHS. Do you remember the two VHS? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I've and bought I, that movie several times. Yeah, the VHS, the DVD, the yeah, Blu-ray a couple of Blu times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I probably watched the second uh, VHS quite a bit because that's <laughs> where, you know, it kind of gets a little bit more interesting. But, you know, I, I think the chemistry between the two leads is um, pretty apparent. So Titanic, number three. So it, it does it bother you all the things that have come out like post-Titanic um, regarding like Leonardo DiCaprio not getting a space on the door at the end? I, I, he was going to die somehow. You know, I, I get it. Like there was definitely space for him, but, you know, maybe she didn't want him to live because he was poor and she didn't want to have to support him for the rest <laughs> of her life. So, um no, it's a, it's a testament of how good that film is because I still with with all the uh, the stuff that comes out of people making fun of it and criticizing that part of the film when you're wrapped up in that relationship and the sinking of the Titanic and it going down um, and and they're in the ocean you're you're so wrapped up you don't even think about those small details that really is a good sign of a good film yeah and propeller guy can't forget about propeller guy propeller guy that's right well I I don't know. My my three, I don't think will surprise you if you know me. And we're going to start with a movie we actually just watched this weekend, my wife and I, because we love this film. And if anybody says that this guy can't act, I would propose Exhibit A, which is my number three pick. And that's none other than 1996 Jerry Maguire starring Mr. Tom Cruise himself. 
And it's written and directed by one of my favorite people, Cameron Crowe. I love this film. When, when you talk about chemistry, Renee Zellweger and um, Tom Cruise and the little kid who just steals every scene that he's in, that entire film is just built on chemistry. And the other thing I like about it is it, it just tackles today's cynicism in the workplace. I, I like that little subplot about it as well. But man, I laugh. Um, I, I, I tear up a little bit. At you complete me, Troy. Yes, yeah. And it's, and it's got a, I don't know, it's got a great soundtrack too. I mean, yes. my good, that's the thing that Cameron Crowe I think is known for is getting great performances, a, a fantastic script. And then the soundtracks to his film are just, nobody does it better in terms of just taking, you know, contemporary rock music or just music in general and incorporating it. And, you know, I think um, Cuba Gooding Jr. deservedly won his Oscar. He is fantastic in it. But I was happy to see, you know, how many nominations I think it got that year. Best picture, best um, screenplay. But Cuba obviously was the highlight, especially for his Oscars pick. But um, yeah, Jerry Maguire. And I, I feel like I do watch that almost once a year about this time. That is so funny because my next pick, you're going to freak out. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I'm ready to freak out. All right, my number two is a 1992 uh, Gen Xer based in Seattle, Washington, directed Ooh. by Cameron Crowe. It is Singles. <laughs> I love that film. That almost made my list. Um, I So grunge music is my favorite type of music, hands down. Uh, Pearl Jam is my favorite band of all time. I will say they're the greatest American band ever. Um, if you want to come at me, come at me. Um, Cameron Crowe loves uh, Pearl Jam. He actually directed a documentary uh, called Pearl Jam 20. But um, this movie is basically a love story surrounded by grunge music. Um, it is, I don't know, it's a time and place. Um, I think a lot of my favorite things come around at this time. Um, you know, Pulp Fiction is a yeah. few years oh, later. Yeah. You know, Pulp, you know, Pearl Jam is still my favorite band. It's all this time around 94 to 98 where you know where you're kind of coming in for me i was you know 15 and all that stuff kind of stuck with me so uh singles is just one of those movies that is endearing matt Dillon is amazing in it uh there's actually members of pro jam in this movie um you know those early um concerts of alice in chains things like that so i love this movie i could literally talk about it forever so uh singles and it's not going to make not a bomb because it, it did quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. a little, I think it was like a five or $6 million film and made like four times that or something like that. So yeah, I mean, it's yeah. And Cameron Crowe's got some misses, but some of his highlights are, are, are amazing. Well, nobody does it better than him in my opinion. And so for full disclosure, we discussed, I don't know how many days ago and said, Hey, let's come up with a fun question. How about our favorite romantic films? And you and I have not talked about this at all. We haven't talked about our picks. We haven't tried to tease each other or give hints, et cetera. We sat down on our own and picked three films. So are you ready for your mind to be blown? Your number three pick was directed by James Cameron. Yes. And it was the mega hit Titanic. Yes. Okay. My number three pick is Jerry Maguire, written and directed by Cameron Crowe. Yep. My number two pick is directed by your number three director. So okay. it is none other than 1994's True Lies, True Lies? directed okay. by James Cameron, adapted from the screenplay, screenplay 
La Totale, I think. It's a French film. It's yeah, that French whatever. Yeah. And, <laughs> that and French film. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a stupid French film. Um, I love this film. It's a great action film, but what I really like about it, you you talk about the chemistry of the leads. Like that's super important for a romance film. And I think when you talk about Valentine's Day film, everybody gravitates to the rom-com or you know, the dramatic schmaltzy notebook kind of thing. To me, True Lies is a fantastic romantic film because it's about a married couple just rediscovering themselves. And there's the whole subplot with her kind of cheating with the used car salesman <laughs> and him discovering Dude, that. And Could you imagine cheating on Arnold Schwarzenegger? It happens quite a bit. I, it's so I mean, it, weird. she doesn't do it in Jingle All the Way, but like she's tempted by Phil Hartman and it's like, yeah, come weird. on, there's no way. There's no, I no agree. Way. But it's, it's such a fun film. And, and at the core of the film and what makes you care about it is the relationship between Schwarzenegger and um, Jamie. And I, I don't know, just as much as she is discovering about his secret life, then he starts discovering I don't, you know, just this incredible woman who ends up embracing all of the action and craziness going on around her. And there's some great comedic moments, but more than anything, uh, you don't get enough movies, in my opinion, just good romantic films about married couples. And to me, True Lies is just up there. So I, I just think that is absolutely hilarious that we're picking right out of the gate with our number three and two, the same director in, in both. So I'm dying to see what your number one is. So my number one, I had to go back quite a bit. Um, this is one of my, so this and Citizen Kane are probably my favorite, like old timey movies. Um, it's 1942's Casablanca. Look, you have Bergman, you have Bogart. I mean, again, the chemistry between the two leads has to be there for me to really like this film. And those two were great. A. So if you yeah. haven't seen Casablanca, I mean, come on. I, I do. It has the iconic ending, the heartbreaking yes. ending. Yes. So good. That coloration that they did is <laughs> one of the most <laughs> offensive things I have ever seen in my entire life. So stick with the black and white. Um, again, if you can find, you know, a good um, restoration, I know the Blu-ray is pretty good. Um, that black and white just kind of pops when you look at it in a high def. So um that's funny. So my number one was going to be a black and white film, specifically His Girl Friday. But I had to think about it for a second. So I don't know about you. There's something about romantic films that the older ones, probably before my time of discovering film, they're good movies and I like them. Casablanca is a classic. Don't get me wrong. But I for this particular category, I gravitate to the ones that affected me at some point when I was going through a relationship or when you're dating, et cetera, and you go to a film and you experience it with somebody that you like. I mean, I've seen Jerry Maguire and true lies with my wife. And I, I don't know what it is about those films that beat out Casablanca, but it just feels like I discovered those with somebody that I just have a deep connection with. And those movies mean more to me. This number one is one that I discovered in high school. And I had to think about this and go, look, if there's one film, that I will watch over and over and over again and never get tired. And it's in that romantic genre. And, and, and let's face it, I, if, if I'm going to sit down and pick a film, I'm going to watch somebody getting kicked in the face. Or, <laughs> I, I mean, yes, just, yes, you are. Yes. That's, that's what I love to watch. Even for your romantic films. Even for my romantic films. So if I'm going to pick what for me 
is the greatest romantic film ever. It's got to have that in it, right? To some degree. But it also has to be written and directed by Cameron Crowe. So my number one pick is 1989's Say Anything, written and directed by Cameron Crowe. It stars none other than John Cusack, Ione Sky, John Mahoney, and in a cameo, Don the Dragon Wilson, considered the greatest kickboxing champion in sports history. He's the one that's sparring with uh, oh, yes. yep, in the ring. Yep. But I, I don't pick it because you know Don Wilson's in it. I, I pick that film because of two things that always stick out. And I, I consider them to be, I don't know, just some of the best film that's out there. And it's the sequence when John Cusack goes over to have dinner and uh, the, the father just asks him, well, what are you going to do with your life? And he goes through this whole speech about... He doesn't want to sell something. He doesn't want to process something. And, and it's just expertly written. It's expertly performed. And the other thing that I absolutely love is how this film ends. When they're sitting on the plane, they're waiting for the bell to ring. It, it just has a perfect, you don't know what's going to happen. They just have to rely on themselves. And you want to talk about like pure gutsy romantic moves. He's just given up everything to follow her, you know, out of country. And I love that film. Just yep. absolutely adore everything about it. And to me, it is still my favorite Cameron Crowe soundtrack as well. That's got uh, In Your Eyes, yeah. Cult of Personality, I think is on it. Yeah, that's got a really good, yes, yes. And, and it's so iconic with the boombox outside the window. I mean, it's absolutely been, you know, parodied and everything else. But say anything, man. I, nothing, nothing gets to me like saying anything. Cameron Crowe, man, he can really really do it sometimes yeah and, and i don't know if it's a generational thing because again I, it's gotta there, be yes yeah there's tons of films out there but cameron crowe is one of those that every time i see something that he's going to put out i get excited for and and it hits hits my i don't know schmaltzy bone i'm just ready for it right because i i think I, I just enjoy all the feels that he gives um me through the characters and everything else and um they're, they're just good films they really are good films yeah so you mentioned this and I, I was curious do you remember what the first movie you and your wife went to see together oh we now were... it's been it's been a long time so i, I don't want to put you on the spot years um yeah. we were trying to think about it and i don't i can't remember if it was uh was the replacement killers in 98 we were we were trying Ooh. to figure it out i know what mine fact. is I oh what's your mine is so do you remember the 2012 movie Chronicle by Josh Trank with Dane DeHaan, Michael B. Jordan? It's the found footage, like superhero movie, mm -hmm. sadly written by uh, Max Landis. But um, yeah, we saw that and uh, that was our first our first date uh, to a movie theater. So, oh, wow. So, yeah, not our actual first date, but our first movie. So, yeah, I, I can't remember. I do remember this. We we went to dinner. So we met on Valentine's Day and on February 15th, we went to dinner and we went to a Chinese restaurant. Man, you move fast. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> she moved fast. So oh, we hey. like, oh, we're going out tomorrow. It's like, cool. But um, I do remember when we went to the film and I, I do think it was replacement killers. I, the replacement killers came out a week before Valentine's Day. And I think I went back to the theater to see it again. And she went with, and it was funny. And I, I <laughs> she's going to kill me for this. I, Again, I remember sitting in the movie theater. Replacement Killers came out in 1998. Yeah, so it, it was, I it came out about February, around where we met. But February 6th, yeah. yeah, yeah I, there I you think go. I took her to see it, and it was like my second showing because I know I saw it opening night. 
but I remember sitting in theater, lights go down, you know, we have our popcorn drinks, whatever we're holding hands. And then she leans over. She's, you know, wants to do the smooching in the back. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. <laughs> this we, is on fat. Okay. This, listen. Yeah. We, we got to watch the film here. <laughs> so we, we paid good money for the tickets. That's Anquan Fuqua, right? Yeah. Okay. Mira Servino. Yep. Yeah. But I, I remember her giving me grief even after all the years that, uh, I, I was very much um, every she, she's she's very much the aggressor. I don't I don't know how she's still with me, um, but yeah, I'm a total nerd. Nice. You'd rather see Chow Young Fat than the make out and during a movie. Good job, Troy. Dude, it's Chow Young Fat. Come I on. know, I know. <laughs> He's slow motion shooting people. Um, well, hey, listen. Tonight we're talking. We're we're keeping the romance going. I'm not keeping the deep voice going because <clears throat> it's it, it hurts. Uh, but we're going to talk about I don't know a film that really didn't get much love at all last year because of the pandemic, because of lots of stuff, but I really don't think a lot of critics saw it. Um, a lot of people don't talk about it. Every time I ask somebody, have you seen this film? I kind of get a blank stare. I don't know about you. I, I know I, I introduced you to it. Yes. Yes. But I, I remember um, around, I guess it was, I guess it was more towards December seeing like on iTunes, um, the like the top spot would say love and monsters you know rent it now and then like you know you can buy it in january january 5th or something like that so i do remember seeing it have that top slot for a while to per to rent so for vod yeah and, and it's one that i've been dying to talk about so this is one of those films that there's not much to it i mean we we've, we've talked about some crazy films probably over the last couple of weeks we talked about showgirls uh, with Jose Speed Racer with Sammy, there, there's a lot of stuff going on in both those films. And a lot of the movies we talk about, there's just this real deep history in terms of production development, people that star in it, etc. This is a little bit of an unknown film that just kind of got pushed out there. And I, I, we, I know you're going to go through the numbers, but it's it had a pretty, I guess, sizable budget for Paramount yeah. at the time. Yeah, you but can you, tell they, you know, one of my notes was I really missed that mid budget movie. This would yeah. be right in there. Um, I'll just go ahead. It's $30 million budget. Um, you know, those mid level movies where they're not the mega $250 million and they're not the indie 5 million. It's like that sweet spot where you can still make money if the movie does well, but you're not, you're taking a little bit of a chance, um, which is nice because you know, $30 million, you're, you're not going to lose all of that. So hopefully you can recoup something and you're, you're maybe your movie makes 60 million or 70 million and you've made some money and you took a chance and Hey, we'll make a sequel or all that stuff. So you could definitely see with this one, that mid budget, they probably wanted to go more than just one film. So um, I think so, but it, yep. I, I saw it in the theater, but even when I went to see it in the theater, there was nobody else in the theater except me and my son, Cameron. So do you want to hear, you want to hear the numbers? I, I do. I'm super curious because I, I know it played. It actually played here for a little bit. And um, again, I never saw a trailer for it. Cameron had talked about it and it was not on my radar. Do you know how he came into it? I guess, does he, does he follow the lead guy? Um, I don't, I don't know. It was okay. something that he talked about. And to be quite honest, I was not interested until I saw the movie poster and the movie poster really doesn't give you anything, but if you see it, it's it's on the Blu-ray 4K cover. I actually like the movie poster. Uh -huh. it, does, yeah. it doesn't have. Um, I don't know if you remember movie posters, especially from the 80s. You had the artist that was drawing, you know, something like Raiders of the Lost Ark or Big Trouble in Little China. 
You mean Drew Struzan? Drew Struzan, yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. So Big Trouble in Little China is a, a great example. You have Jack Burton standing in the middle with his like broken CB and, and his gun. And yep. you've got sequences of the film just kind of at the bottom around him. And for whatever reason, that poster sort of reminded me of it, but a sort of a Photoshopped version. And it looked interesting. New And didn't see the trailer or anything, but it's like, all right, well, let's go catch this thing. But I'm, I'm real curious how it did. Yeah, so um, opening weekend, which comes out in October, October 16th, um, that weekend, it makes $270,000 on its way to $1.1 million. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. The the uh, weekend that it opens, the 16th through the 18th, it comes in at ninth place when it comes out. Do you know? Take a wild guess at what movie was in first place during this weekend. It, it wasn't the new mutant still, was it? No, it was honest thief on it. Like Liam. Ne no, that wasn't Liam Neeson. Yeah. Liam Neeson. Oh, it was Liam Neeson. Honest yeah. thief. He is a, uh, I think he's a bank robber or something like that, but yeah, that weekend it was honest thief war with grandpa. Oh Lord. Tenet. Um, the nightmare before Christmas re-release hocus pocus re-release. Oh God. This two heart my hocus pocus yeah two hearts um the new mutants i really have no faith okay I, i'm still back on the hocus pocus i have no faith in humanity of hocus pocus well to be fair this movie only comes out on 387 theaters but hocus um, pocus that it, uh, was in 1640 so you know they're anyway so right. unfortunately it only 387 theaters one by you I tried to look at mine historically. I couldn't get see if there was anywhere close to me. Probably an indie would be the closest one. Um, yeah, sadly, just did not have a huge opening, obviously because of the pandemic. So um, it kind of floundered for a while. Though I will say 77 critics and 92% on Rotten Tomatoes and then over 50 reviews with the audience at 89%. So you have 80, 92 with the critics, 89 with the audience. So they're right in line with each other. Pretty much all of them praise the lead actor um, for As kind of his should. role, Dylan yeah. O'Brien. Um, so we'll get into it a little bit later, but that's kind of the numbers and where it stood critically. No justice in this world, Brad. Hocus pocus. I, over I, I, I know, man. You can literally watch that on Disney Plus for free. Uh, all right. Well, you could not, or you could just skip it. Yeah. Watch it one time. I mean, that's, that's all the torture you need in your life. In my opinion. Wow. Coming um, at you, hocus pocus. Yeah. That, it's terrible. Uh, so let's talk about the people who made the film. So behind the camera, we have Michael Matthews, the director. I know nothing about this guy. I, yeah. He did yep. one film before this five fingers of Marseille from 2017, which I put it on my wish list in Amazon after I read the description. It looks like a take on the spaghetti western. Yeah, it's a South African version of a spaghetti western, right? Yeah, and I went and looked at the trailer and it looked fantastic, so I'm certainly interested. The I know it was like has like a ton of nominations for everything. Yeah, it, it looks super. I don't know why it just flew under the radar. Usually that's the type of film that out here would have played at the Parkway or the AFI and and you would have seen it on the virtual cinema, even that they were doing through the pandemic. But the screenplay was done by 
Brian Duffield, and he was also credited with story, and Matthew Robinson. Now, this is interesting because we'll talk about it. Brian Duffield, I went back and looked at some of the movies he did. He he did Underwater in 2020, which I think you've seen. I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> yep, yep. The Babysitter in 2017, Jane Got a Gun in 2015, and the Divergent series Insurgent, which I've Oof. never seen any of those. Yeah. And Matthew Robinson <laughs> did Dora in the Lost City of Gold in 2019. Dude, I have a little kid and we've watched that movie. It's actually not that bad. It's actually pretty good. It's like I, tolerable. Truth be told, Tabitha, for whatever reason, saw the trailer and was like, I kind of want to see that. So I think we own it. We just haven't watched it yet. Yeah. The other one that Matthew Robinson did is Monster Trucks in 2016. So that is one that Cameron was kind of interested in. We went to see it. And I got to say, it's not terrible. Now, I'm not recommending Monster <laughs> no, Trucks. No, don't. But don't. It, it, it didn't great on my nerves the way that I thought it would I guess if if that's the best compliment I can give it again I have a four-year-old son who loves trucks and I have to see that movie sometimes he'll be like I want to watch trucks and then you're like let's watch something else let's let's not <laughs> yeah it's, that's uh that's got that uh Nicholas Till in it who yeah. they are trying to make be a thing and I don't think he's very good no so. it's it's not a great film by any means, like I no. said, it, but when you go in with such low expectations, like, Hey, I think I'm going to take a nap for like 90 minutes and you end up just <sighs> sort of being entertained. And, and I don't know, some of the sequences were kind of entertaining, but that's about all I'll give it. But this guy also did jerk 2014, never seen it, but this was interesting. The invention of lying in 2009, the Ricky Gervais film. race movie. Yeah. Interesting little, I, I, I does it make sense? Now that you've seen the film, for me, it kind of makes sense with the babysitter and the invention of lying. I I, I get aspects of it within the screenplay. We'll talk about it a little bit different. Yeah. But most of the time you watch a film, Cameron Crowe, we just talked about him. You can tell Cameron Crowe is writing the screenplay. I feel like looking at the people who, I don't know, contributed to the story and screenplay here, I kind of feel that too, based on a few of these films. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a rhythm and style to it. For sure. Now there's a lot of special effects people in this film throughout because obviously it's it's a movie with monsters but there was there was one person that stood out to me and it was head of creature on special effects stephen boyle he was a workshop technician on the hobbit an unexpected journey from 2012 he was the shark designer for a movie called bait in 2012 he was the creature designer and supervisor for Daybreakers in 2009. That was Ooh, the I saw that. Ethan Hawke film. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So Vampire yeah, it's movie? basically vampires run the world and Willem Dafoe's in it. Oh, hey, Spider-Man. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's actually an okay movie. Yeah. I liked. Bad. Yeah. It gets real dumb how they try to like cure themselves, but the world is not. The world is pretty cool. I'll say that. Right. Well, so this was interesting too. He also worked as a creature technician on Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones from 2002. So on the um, probably the, the planet Coliseum. with the Geonosian. Oh, the Geonosian, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure he did that. So that, that's the that's... worst thing Star Wars has ever done. Ooh. Attack of the Clones. Oh wow! Throwing throwing stones there, my friend. Did Sucks. you ever? Let me let me digress for a second. When, when that came out, they actually did an IMAX version. Uh -huh. So what in order to show it at IMAX, though, they had to cut about 15 minutes of it down 
So the version that you saw in IMAX, I remember seeing it with my father. We drove up to Indianapolis. Oh yeah, yeah, another the one. Science yep. Museum up yep. there. No, the the History Museum. History, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we we went to see it up there, and it it was a different cut than what they were showing at the theater at time. I, a I shorter say, version of Attack of the Clones is probably better. It it was really good. So when people say, "Oh wow," it like that's the worst thing ever. I actually kind of like Attack of the Clones for that version that I saw. Um, and specifically, I, I actually like the creature designs that were occurring because it had a very Ray Harryhausen film um, towards the end there. But yeah. we're going to talk about that in detail because when when we talk about a movie called Love and Monsters, obviously we're going to talk about like all the cool monsters, right? So that's the that's all the people behind the camera, in front of the camera, um, right out of the gate. Dylan O'Brien, Joel, do you know this guy? I don't because I'm not familiar with like the Maze Runner or uh, believe yeah, it or not either. the uh, Teen Wolf. A series on mtv but uh i'll tell you what i mean i have seen him in american assassin i remember him in american assassins which is a movie i like yeah which <clears throat> um so jose has been messaging me back and forth about some stuff and he he was telling me this story about uh dylan that when he so he was really badly injured on a maze runner i guess it was i don't know if it was the second or third yeah, I, I was surprised there were three of them because I've never seen it. So he got hurt really bad. And apparently, so he wouldn't sue the pants off of the studio. He got to voice Bumblebee. And then he got to do um, American Assassin. And then I guess this. So they're kind of giving him work in a way. So he doesn't uh, at some point in time own the studio because he almost died. I mean, oh, wow. it was really bad. Um, so I, I find that interesting that pretty much... Um, you know, so he's he, going to be acting for a while is what you're saying. But to be fair, like he should, he is very good. He's, he's like amazing as this, because immediately when you watch this movie, you're going to think of another movie and another lead. And I think he plays this character better than that. And we'll get into it later. But um, yeah, I think he's really good. I, the movie basically hinges on him and I think he nailed it. So I agree. And then the the other person that has a major role in it, Jessica Henwick as Amy. She's she's been in a lot of high profile stuff. Game so, of Thrones. Game of Thrones, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, mm -hmm. the, the Defenders, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. So she's been in Marvel. She was in Underwater as well, which I haven't seen. Oh, yes. Yes. And On the Rock. So she had three films came out uh, in 2020. And then, of course, also with supporting parts is Michael Rooker as Clyde. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Michael Rooker's filmography because when we went back and looked at it, I feel like we'll pick one of his movies that may be bombed and spend some time talking about him. But what I do find interesting, I mean, most people know him now as Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy. And then Minnow, who's played by Ariana Greenblatt, which I thought this was interesting. She oh, yes. played young Gamora, Gamora in Avengers yes. Infinity War. Yep. I... I will sign off on this Michael Rooker kind of resurgence. Um, I love it. I think he's an amazing actor. Um, and that's funny that you say resurgence, because if you go back and look at what he's been doing, I think he's gotten a lot more high profile stuff, but that's why I kind of want to save it. Cause I've, there's a couple of movies on his filmography that I would love to talk about on a show and do a deep dive on Michael Rooker, because I, I do think he's so good in this but 
we'll get to it. <laughs> Him and Minnow specifically have great chemistry, but they also have great chemistry with our, our lead character, Joel. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I'm just saying like, yes, I know he's been working for a long time, but yeah. Yes. When he was came kind of back on the scene in guardians is what I, so yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. Like I said, he's got gotten a lot more high profile stuff. Yep. And then Dan Ewing is cap who <laughs> you look at his filmography. He's, he's just another Aussie hunk. Who's done a lot of TV. Uh, he is a hunk. I, yeah. It's poor man's. I don't know. What's his name? Chris for? Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then another huge star of the film. It's actually paid by um, two animals. Hero and Dodge play the role of boy. Boy, the dog. The dog. So before we get into our thoughts of our film, this is the other thing I kind of thought was interesting. This thing had been in production since 2012. So it's been out there for a while, eight years. And Paramount Pictures was developing it as a film called Monster Problems with Sean Levy producing. And it was based on just spec scripts from Brian Duffield. And it was supposed to be at the time a mix of Mad Max, Zombieland, and a John Hughes love story. Okay. I think yeah. I think that's accurate. Some of that stuff, yes. That Some stuff of it is, is accurate. It has around, elements yeah. of it. But the principal photography really didn't start until March 25th of 2019. And it wrapped in May of 2019. So, you know, it, it shot in about two and a half, three months there. Which is fast. You know, that's pretty fast for something like this. Yeah, but it, again, given the production budget of thirty million, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and if you look at the cast, and the, the cast is, well, I mean, literally, there's some small other roles, but the people you listed are have ninety five percent of the speaking parts. Yeah, and, and Michael Rooker is probably your biggest name out of that entire cast. Absolutely, at the time, unless you know you're you're a Maze Runner fan or a tween unless you're a tween then unless yeah. you're a tween but even then i don't know if they paid attention to this thing i mean they put daniel o'brien's name is above the title on the poster i mean it says daniel o'brien and then it says dylan. love and monster dylan, or dylan, dylan sorry yeah. no 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 yeah yeah absolutely so let's get into it rightly so i i'm just this is one that i've been talking to you about <laughs> the day the day that i saw this thing i walked out of the movie theater and i was texting you yep and i was saying oh my god love and monsters you have to see this film. I don't know if it's playing near you. I, I don't know if it's on demand, but it, it, I was telling everybody about this film. So I'm just curious about your initial reaction to it. Yeah, so going into it with that sort of expectations, but knowing like zero about it, like I didn't even watch the trailer. I didn't do anything and it opens up and it's got this narration and narration can be this. It's either it's really good or it, is really bad and it all depends on how the actor is doing it um harrison ford blade runner not so great this guy dylan o'brien sells it the whole way so you know i think if you are okay with the like these i'm speaking to you and this is how it is but it's it's kind of centered on him writing this journal to this girl um and he's kind of reading it out loud so you know it's it's premise is in within the movie so it's not just him kind of dumping exposition to the audience it's sort of in this more clever way than that um i think immediately you're gonna say this is like a direct kind of answer to zombie land which is okay um now zombie land had four huge actors in it you know i mean academy award-winning actors um but i will say you know 
I think the Dylan O'Brien is like a star and he is absolutely charming, but he's honestly plays that uh, sort of meek kind of sarcastic kind of every man really well. Um, and I really enjoyed his presence and kind of his reactions. And I think if you are kind of wowed by his performance, then this movie will be one of those where you're just like, Whoa, this thing is awesome. Um, it comes out of nowhere. And again, it's just one of those great like mid budget movies that I miss seeing, you know, we were, you know, some of the episodes we've done are mid budget movies. Event Horizon is like, you know, one of those things where I know it's a little higher budget, but you don't get these kind of movies anymore because it's not going to make a billion dollars. No, and, you're right. It's or it doesn't cost a million dollars and we can't make 50 million. You know, we can't, you know, we're not going to make our profit X, you know, 50. That's never going to happen with this movie. But I really feel bad too because I think this movie, the subject matter um, and 2020 and 2021 sucks. Um, because it's about like basically the end of the world and what happens afterwards. And I don't know if that really plays well right now. I think to me, it was more, it was a little bit more fun. So it, it didn't, it wasn't like this sort of like last of us sort of thing, you know, the PlayStation game last of us where it's like everything is dire and everything sucks and blah, blah, blah. This is, has a little bit more hope in it and uh, I like it. So well, that's, Sorry, that's that why I think it's window, perfect but, for last yeah. year. Yeah, but still, yeah, yeah. Well, it's so you talk about this mid-budget film. I miss those movies, and you're absolutely right. They would come out in the fall or spring. So Hollywood is really banking on the summer movie season, which used to start towards the end of May. Now it feels like it starts in April. Yeah, April, Iron Man. When that first Iron Man come out in April, it was like, all right, this is now summer starts in April. Yeah, so you go from April to about late August is the summer season. And then you get the holiday season, which is around Thanksgiving going all the way up to Christmas. Mm -hmm. So you got this pocket, maybe September, October, and then you've got a January, February, March. You've, you have these movies. I don't want to call them the dumping grounds, but to your point, the studios are taking these mid-tier films that just don't cost an arm and a leg. But at the same time, it's not your independent film that they're just touring, you know, to various films throughout the U.S. Yeah. And they put them out there. And I know most of them are hit or miss. But when they hit, I find those to be more entertaining than the big blockbusters. Because usually they might be taking subject matter and taking a little bit of a chance with it. Yeah, they're more risky. They're taking a risk. Yes. Yeah. And I find them so much more rewatchable. Now you're right. Your first reaction to this might be, this is zombie land, but without zombies, I've got monsters. But I got to tell you, I lose that right after the title card comes up. So I want to talk about the intro a little bit and especially the world building, I guess. So you, you talk about, car are you going to the cartoon stuff? You get the cartoon stuff in the beginning, okay. which is the narration you're talking about, yeah. which I think the artwork and the hand drawings is yeah, it's fantastic. Really cool. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know if you collect the art of film books. So I, I, I buy them for every do. Star Wars film and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and yeah. Mandalorian. So you get to see the concept art and the storyboard drawings and everything else. I would love one for this film. I I don't think it exists, but man, give me 
give me all of the art and design for the creature. Yeah. The, the the, creatures. Yeah. But you get a little bit of that in the beginning and he's sort of telling about the asteroid, what happened, you know, <laughs> to the earth and all these monsters coming. I, I love the whole goldfish eating the kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of demented, but it's pretty funny. And here's the thing. Zombieland, I, I love, don't get me wrong. It's funny, but it's snarky. It has that snarky humor to it. Absolutely, yes. This seems very dry, sincere, and genuinely is going to not make you laugh out loud, but it's going to make you chuckle throughout the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, Jesse Eisenberg is playing a very sort of, I don't know how you describe his character, but it's very, yeah, the snark is like turned up to 11. This has way more charm than Zombieland. That's the word, a lot yeah. more charm. But it, that that first sequence before you get to the title card, it's so immersive. You get that fantastic animation that's showing what's going on with the world and you see the monsters, right? In an animated form. Yeah. And they, they look kind of scary, but you don't know what you're getting into. You, you get to see how the world is transformed. You, the weapons and the destruction, the, the whole world building elements within, you know, the first 10 minutes, it's so immersive. And you get your first taste of a monster when it breaches their bunker. And you also get to see what happens to Joel and where he's at from a character perspective and he freezes. And I got to tell you, I believe it hundred percent. Like he sells that whole thing of just being frozen, can't do anything, scared to death. And, and again, that's all before the title card happens. So kind of like speed racer in terms of the beginning of the film, I'm really fascinated with the beginning of this film before, before you get that love and monster title credit, you just get this super immersive world. That's, that's a combination of animation, these fantastic monsters, great performance, like right out of the gate. It's a great intro, man. Yeah. And then you also get his kind of, this is what college would be, be like, because <laughs> yeah. you know, you're living in a bunker with people and, you know, everyone is shacking up with each other except for him because he's kind of the oddball out. And I mean, to be fair, the guy isn't like this, hideous looking human being like he's an attractive guy that was the one thing where i was like come on dude i think i think at the apocalypse you would do okay or post but there's no everybody's hooked up i mean he's, yeah i know i know he's down there chatting with the cow practicing with his little you know crossbow that they yeah. made it it's very charming it is and i think you get that sense with the narration the zombie land but by the time the title comes up i've totally forgot about zombie land and i'm just all into this world Oh, absolutely. And I think the one thing going against Zombieland too is is kind of all that star power. You kind of know what to expect here. Everything was like a surprise to me and it was a pleasant surprise. And I, I think that really helps this movie a lot is to just enjoy it and let it kind of wash over you and just like let it be. And you're going to be like, again, it's charming. It's surprising it's it's just pleasant to see. it's weird because it's like you know it's a monster movie but it's like kind of pleasant to be in the world isn't like completely it, destroyed like it has its tense film it has its tense moments i mean that yeah. whole thing where you see the shadow of the monster it's coming over i i agree with you 100 it's it's so much fun and it's pleasant but when it introduces those dark elements you feel him because yes. of dylan's performance Well, because because it, it's such a stark contrast because even like when he's outside of the bunker you know everything's overgrown it's very 
green like it's not you know when you get these post-apocalyptic movies especially like mad max and stuff it's brown and grays here there's lots of greens and oh, you know it's super it, colorful there's no i think it rains like for like five minutes in this movie normally like it would rain the whole time like it's still not playing into those post-apocalyptic tropes um you know even the bugs themselves are very vibrant and have lots of color stuff like that so you know it's it's treading with those tropes, but it's also kind of playing against them as well. So, yeah. so we, we got to talk about Dylan. I, I feel like we've talked How much time already a lot about, I, dude, why <laughs> is Dylan O'Brien not getting a ton of recognition for this performance? I feel like, cause no one saw the movie, sadly, I guess he's, he's so good. You talked about his narration. I'm with you. It's charming. I feel like it's the perfect blend of comedy and emotion. I really believe him as this character and I love his dry humor, how he sneaks it in there. I really believe his fear, like throughout this entire film, when, you know, stuff goes down and he's in the midst of it and he doesn't know if he can sort of overcome that just fear from a trauma that occurred before he sells it. You 100% believe it. And you're kind of sitting on the edge of your seat. Like, come on, you can do this. I mean, you're really cheering for this guy throughout the oh, entire film. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's another important element is you are rooting for this person. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And you want him to complete his journey. Um, his 85 miles, man. Yep. Seven yep. days. It's so good. And, and the chemistry, I, this whole movie is built on chemistry so you said right out of the top of the hour, like the best romantic films are about the, the chemistry between the two leads. Now I know Joel and Amy don't spend a lot of the film together, but man, their chemistry, when they talk to each other, just on the radio, when they finally see each other towards the, the third act of the film, it, it's great. And I love where the film goes with these two. It's a bit unexpected. Yes, yes, yes. Even when, so even when she's, sort of cold with him at the beginning you still like i was like you could see her coldness but you're also like dude you're way into this guy like you're oh you can tell it's it's hard even oh, like yeah. so you as an audience member you're like wait a minute i know you're being cold but it's obvious that you want this person like it's it's just how it is so yeah um that's funny how even their chemistry is so good that you don't believe that she uh doesn't want to be with him well, absolutely. She has so much burden on her shoulders for taking care of that colony because it is composed of a lot of elderly people. Yes. Yeah. And Jessica just sells it from an entire performance and character. So you get Amy as that character being torn with, I really am getting over just this breakup that she had. I'm assuming her, that person she was with died. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. what is implied through the conversation. So she's dealing with that. She's dealing with the responsibility of being one of the younger people and leaders within that colony. And then here's this guy that shows up, which she had this deep connection to. And like you said, her, she's so good and their chemistry is so good that you know she's trying to do the right thing, be the responsible grown up in the apocalypse. But she she digs this guy big time. Yeah, how could you not? Have you seen him? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's dreamy, right? Yeah, charming. And then the other, so again, going about chemistry, Joel and Boy, the dog, great chemistry. Oh my I know, God. I know. <laughs> that dog has so much character. The fact that Boy carries around this red dress, what fascinates me about the script is that one little tidbit of information about the dog adds so much character to the dog. Absolutely. And again, that is just 
a call out to how good this script is. And the other thing I like is as soon as Joel meets Boy, he doesn't pet him. He doesn't treat him like a dog. He just starts talking to him like he's another person. Yeah, because you would. You would. If 95% of the population was gone and you've talked to the same, what, 11 or 12 people for seven years straight, if you see something else, you're going to talk to it. I mean, that's just how it is. So Yeah, and um, you, you eventually get some scenes of him hugging boy and petting him. It's usually after they escape something. Yes. And they're just happy to be alive. But I love that most of the exchange and most of the chemistry between Joel and the boy, it, it's a road trip movie. We just, it feels like two guys who are just traveling the apocalypse and, and boy has so much character. You care about everything that's going to happen to yeah, that one dog. Of, one of the best dog performances ever, you know? And I think so. Yeah, a few lassie boy yeah. rocks, right? You know, like um, fallout, like you always have, I guess the new one that was dog meat. So mm-hmm. you're always like traveling with a companion and dog meets one of them. I mean, it's straight out of there, but yeah, it is the dog is so great. So lovable. You don't want, you know, obviously you never want anything to happen to a dog, but especially oh, no. this dog. And then like, there's this element of this red dress that it never really, the film never says where the red dress, what it is or anything like that. It just, it's an element of this thing. And I kind of like, at one point in time, when they, at the end of the movie, I said, oh, is that red dress going to be Amy somehow? And when he gets there, like, boy, is going to be Amy's dog or something. Nope, nope not nothing at all. like that. Like something that would probably ruin some of the script because it would be too sort of neat. Um, you know, they don't go for any of that sort of easy, you know, sort of what, what's it called? Like when, you know, they the script just kind of takes this easy way, sort of lazy. Yeah, lazy, <laughs> but it's like convenient. In a yeah, way. it is but yeah. no he, he has that dog has an entire backstory that you get a piece of through that red dress but it's never fully explained or yeah. out but you know that that dog is going to make some crucial decisions on the basis of that red dress yeah and, and a part of me was like is the dog's name really boy or were they were just trying to tell people that this dog was a boy you know like i, I don't know I don't know. I mean, of course, the dog answered the boy. So, but well, it had boy on the van when he yeah. first goes in there. But I also think it's kind of a neat little reference to. I don't know if you ever saw the Don Johnson film, A Boy and His Dog. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I, I kind of thought that was a nice little callback of the dog is called Boy. Boy. Yeah. So, and then, so you, <laughs> Joel goes out there, he meets Boy, and then he comes along, Clyde and Minnow, and guess what? Great chemistry. I don't know what is it about this film. Every time Dylan walks into these scenes with a bunch of other people, he has this fantastic chemistry with it. And here's where that zombie land films, I don't know, feel starts to come back a little bit. Yep. And then just same thing, like the narration, it slowly goes away. Once you see that Michael Rooker isn't doing the Woody Harrelson thing. Nope. And nope. Minnow isn't trying to be, you know, the smart ass and everything else that way. She's, She's a little precocious kid, but yeah, she you is. know, but it's okay. But their their creature names are fun. You start to learn a little bit more about the world. Again, it's it's a huge surprise because it, they are starting to call out to something that most moviegoers are going to be familiar with, and it takes a different pr- approach to the whole thing. And you know they're gone yeah. at some point so that he can get to the third chapter of the film. Well, but again, it's yeah. just amazing, amazing chemistry. Yeah, and it's again they don't do the convenient thing where. 
like there's a part where he's in trouble and I'm like, oh, Michael Rooker's going to just show up out of the way and they were going to be like, oh, you know, we, we knew you were going to get in trouble. So, you know, we were 10 steps behind. You didn't know we were here and they don't do that either. So it's just like all these sort of tropes that because we watch movies, we know the chances of this happening are about 95%. Michael Rooker's going to come back to help him. Nope. Like yeah, they break, they oh, break all those tropes. They yeah, break away exactly. from all those trends. And again, it just goes to kind of the, the surprise element of this movie. And Michael, Ro- I mean, I will say this about Michael Rooker because he once again delivers this really memorable performance as a mentor and teacher. And he has all of his rules. You just like him because he's carrying around a samurai sword. Oh, he's so good with samurai yeah. sword. <laughs> I, but what's funny about it is I'm, I'm watching this film. I can't even tell you how many times I've watched this thing because it's not in the theater. As soon as, as soon as about the 4K, I'm like, you know what? I'm not waiting for the podcast. I'm going to watch it again. I watched it a few times. But every time I watch it, I'm always getting something out of it, especially when you start paying attention to what's going on in the background versus the main scenes. But when I walk away, it's like, oh, yeah, I want that Clyde and Minnow movie. Oh, I want um, Joel and Boy, you know, just for them to keep going. Oh, I want Joel and Amy. But the chemistry that happens between all those performances and the dynamic that comes out of it, I feel like, dude, those could be three separate films on their own. Like a Love and Monsters cinematic universe? I guess. But the, yeah. the fact that you get something so good out of those three dynamic relationships into one film, again, just proves that this is one of the best screenplays I think I've seen in a long time of any genre and and when he like comes in contact with mabus the robot like there's actual like chemistry with that thing too it's amazing okay, we, we could talk about that so i'm just gonna put You're it gonna, out there you cried when he oh i did some of the parts okay oh yep, okay. i knew it i knew it well, you knew it look that that whole sequence is probably my favorite piece of film from last year that i saw it's actually really heartfelt like it's, it's so good crazy how like emotional it was when he was just talking to this robot and how impactful it was it, it was actually quite insane so it's, it's crazy i ahead. mean yeah no <laughs> i agree with you 100 the the whole catchphrase mavis if you write it out you would write it with a one not an i she says that a couple of times but man i'm telling you i I wasn't, I just started like, oh, somebody cutting onions in the room. What's going on? The room's really dusty. <laughs> but when, when Mavis starts showing him just images of his family and Dylan, again, his performance, it's so authentic and he's starting to tear up and you know how much he misses his mom and his dad. And they center on the picture of his mom and he's hugging the robot. And the next thing you know, you get these jellyfish that are floating through the air and then Stand By Me comes on. Yeah, you put Stand By Me in a movie, you're 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 half the way there for me. So, dude, it is touching. I just that floored me how good that sequence was, and it felt like it was I don't know the perfect length. It didn't drag on. I didn't want. Yeah, five more it. minutes, it, it would feel too long. Yeah, it it just it was so authentic. Like I was so invested and everything that was going on in that moment. And I wanted Joel to get there and just save the day. But I, I love even Mavis kind of spelling it out and going, oh, she's going to recognize it as this big romantic gesture, or she's not going to care, or you're <laughs> probably going to get 
you know, eat. Killed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I love the humor that Mavis brings to that as well. And again, I just, that that's probably, that sequence is my favorite thing I saw in 2020 last year. Yeah. You know, at that point in time, I think the movie is calling for that sort of high sort of, um, you know, emotional moment at that time. And then, cause he's almost there. So, you know, you're going to have that moment too, but you know, he's got, I think like 30 more miles when he sees Mavis. And so, you, you know, you're, you're kind of in for, okay, we need a, an emotional scene, but it's, you know, there's actually a lot of good, really good comedy as well. Um, it is the whole thing plays really well. And like I said, you know, you put stand by me in, in, in a scene, it's, it's going to get me. So I was, I was feeling a little emotional, not like crying or anything like that. Cause I'm a man, not like Troy, but uh, oh, you know, it's, Hey, whatever. I'm, it's, I'm not was, afraid of it. I, I yeah. wasn't like bawling in my lap or anything. It was, it was just like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta wipe this uh, wet stuff off my cheek there. Cause yeah. that, that got to me. And what's funny is every time I see it, it gets to me. So it, it, it just, Oh man, I, I can't praise that enough. And it, it goes right back to Dylan. That guy sells it. I mean, he's he's acting with a dog and an animatronic like, thing with a, like no lower half. Like the robot is, you know, missing legs. And it's yeah, uh, oh. and obviously CGI jellyfish are going through. I mean, he is so good at it. So yeah, even like when he picks up Mavis and takes it outside, so you know it could be outside and see all this stuff. It's like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be feeling this for this type of situation, but I am. So it, it's perfectly placed in the movie too because when you get to that everything that happens in the third act now you really feel it any danger and stuff that comes up because you look if you're not sold with joel's quest at that point just turn the movie off but i have a feeling everybody who watches this especially when you get to that point you're 100 in that that actor and you're also 100% vested in that character getting to Amy. You, you yeah. want to see it. You want to see the big payoff. He's a good guy. Like you want he him is. to succeed because he's a good guy. He's a good human being in a really bad situation. And you're like, this guy deserves to win. You know, he lost his parents. He lost his girlfriend who is literally only 80 miles away. But in this world, she might as well be a thousand miles away and you want this guy to succeed. Yeah. So we have spent so much time on the love aspect of this film. This movie's called Love and Monsters. Yeah, so we got to talk about the monsters. monsters. Yep. What do you think about the monsters? I love the monster design. And I think for like a $30 million movie, I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't go like the practical route. Um, they're all CG for the most part. Um, yeah, I, I think there are practical elements in there, but you don't get yeah. a full-on practical monster. Yeah, so, you know, I, I kind of miss that aspect of it. Um, you know, the frog is really cool. Um, you know, everywhere he turns, it's just something that is, you know, capable of killing him. Um, the worms are cool down in that hole. Oh, yeah. Um, I liked all of them. You know, you know that parts in uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids where the, the, the ant would actually turns out to be like a good ant. But in this movie, it's like, oh, that ant could kill you. It's going to chop um, your face off. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. And, you know, I, I, I thought it was it was really cool. I mean, you, you just imagine what a creature would be like, but, you know, a hundred times the size or whatever. So, yeah, I again, I wish they would have gone practical. I know why they didn't. I mean, time 
um, budget, all that stuff. So, but no, I, I, I thought they were really fun. And again, they're not these like super sort of like black and browns, you know, they have color and they're vibrant and they, they make sense in this world. They have so much detail. And the other thing I really liked about it was the sound design for each creature as well. So the 4K has a 7-1 Dolby track. And even in the theater, it sounded so good. I and wish when, I had a drink right now. I'd take a I'd take a drink every time you talk about Atmos. Well, it wasn't Atmos. It was only oh, 7-1. I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> the, uh, the sound design is so good in this film as well. And you even get elements of creatures through sound, but you never see them. And I, I love that aspect of it, uh, of it as well. What, what was your favorite creature? Because you've got the ant, the toad, um, the worm pit, which is referred to as the sand gobbler. Okay. You've got the snail. You got the centipede. You have the queen sand gobbler, which, okay, hold on. I'm going to pause there. It has a fantastic slow motion accent, action sequence, which ends on, a, on Dylan kind of getting up out of that and go, wow, I feel like Tom Cruise right now, which is fantastic call out <laughs> yes of course you, you get the leeches that end up all over his body and then in the big climax you get this giant crab which is why i went back to look at the creature design because as soon as i saw that crab i was like that kind of looks like the the acclay from the star wars the episode two which oh, is that yeah. crustacean creature the crustacean thing. yep and, yep and I, I was just wondering i'm like wow i wonder if any of these guys worked on that film sure enough he, he did but um, yeah, did, did you have a favorite? I like the toad. The toad was my favorite. I just thought, you know, it looks cool. Um, the tongue, I, I, I th the toad was, and the one that he ends up blowing up. I, I thought that one was, those are my two favorite for sure. I, the toad is second place. I love that crab. I love the detail of the mouth when it opens up its eyes, just oh, how yeah, they had the, the chains hooked into it. And apparently I was, I was watching a couple of little interviews and, and stuff like that. They had a big blow up crab or something that they were acting against uh, while they were doing the CGI thing. But I love that entire sequence. And as soon as that crab shows up, it looks so cool, but it does bring me back to just maybe the classic Harryhausen monster films. And that, that was my favorite hands down. But the other thing is many times I've seen this, if you go back and watch, I don't know, just everything that's going on in the background in this world, they have so many of these little monsters or spiders in these caves. And it, man, there's so much to see when they're walking down that river and the thing that's swimming in there. Uh, you get the big snail. And then towards the end, you see like a, a big snail and what looks like a baby snail going. The amount of detail. Do you think they, they just poured a bunch monsters. of salt on that snail? It would die. I don't know, <laughs> but I, man, for a movie that puts monsters in its title, this thing certainly delivers and same thing. The monsters themselves have this unique personality because one of the big things that you learn throughout the film is you got sort of the good monsters and the bad monsters. Now in the beginning, everything is sort of out to eat you and kill you, et cetera. But when they come across Clyde Minnow and they're going through all these different, um, names for these monsters one of the things they're, they're trying to relate is you, you've got the good ones you got the bad ones mm -hmm. and i love that the the movie plays with that and you kind of see it play out through the course of the plot and it has has an awesome payoff at the end does it it does <laughs> we'll, get to, I, we'll get to the ending okay well before you get that what the humor so we talked about it a little bit i actually think this is a super funny film yeah but it doesn't 
try to be you know what i'm saying like it, it isn't like this obviously like this attempt to be funny all the time which can be sort of a little bit degrading to a movie like this like it shouldn't try to be funny it's natural it comes yes. out through these natural yes. places you get a hint of it in the beginning when him and amy are in the car and they're having this romantic film and he's he's doing a sketch of her so you know throwback to titanic right he's, yes he's exactly her, yeah and then he shows it to her and she's like well why do i have a mustache why do i have a beard <laughs> yeah why why is my head so big and my hands so small he's like well you because have you have a big hands. head and small hands and and I, I it's it's that type of humor that naturally comes from the dialogue you believe those people are going to say it when he's in that house and he opens the fridge and it screams and he just slams it shut and is running away that made me laugh the um the whole he's a food stealer everybody's asking why did you leave your colony just you steal food <laughs> it's like no um and the other thing so here's here's a great example of where you got to pay close attention to what's going on and you really find the subtle humor is as they're walking along and Clyde is giving him all the rules for these different monsters and he's saying well this monster you know the lizards can't climb and this one can't do this and he's saying all right now insects they have no peripheral vision and as he's writing this down Joel runs into a tree, a tree yeah <laughs> yes so it's it's that type of humor that's there it feels so natural and I don't know. Again, it's it's part of the charm of this movie and it doesn't feel forced because as much as I like Zombieland, it does feel like they're hamming it up a little bit. Yeah, a little and bit. Some yep. of the humor is is forced, which then in turn comes off snarky at times. This one is just all natural. Like I believe every one of these characters would say it. They would find the humor in this situation. It, it would be dry. It wouldn't be to try and get a laugh. It would be more to kind of cope with the danger that's out there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it goes with the charm of the film. Why? So I want to get to why you don't like the climax to this. I, I felt it was weird. So weird. I think, the, I think the, no. So I think the Australian sort of pretentious <laughs> asshole the is captain. great because everyone's like, oh yeah, he brews his own beer. And you're like, of course that guy would brew his own beer. He's a douchebag. And like they play into every like stereotype of, like this guy would be one of those people who would tell you that he's writing a screenplay as well. You know, one of those people. Um, so he's Dude, a this, great, this he's is a great villain. I imagine this is exactly what Chris Hemsworth would be in an apocalypse. Uh, no, yeah. this, this is Chris Hemsworth in an apocalypse. I, okay. I, I don't, I've never met Chris Hemsworth, but I just have to imagine that he would go around telling all Maybe these stories Liam. about Let's say Liam, <laughs> Liam. Yeah. I don't know. I think Chris Hemsworth would make up this whole story that he was in the army and just whatever. And yeah. going from colony to colony, <laughs> brewing his own beer. This is why but, I like Chris Evans better because he wouldn't do this. Oh, okay. I think yeah. it's your, you don't like Aussies. I think is what that is all about. No, Aussies are fine. It's just, <laughs> I think it's funny that you get all these hunky Aussies that come out and all the girls swoon and you get sort of a Chris Hemsworth ripoff in here who ends up being the bad guy. I yeah. find that funny. And he's a food stealer, which is a huge, it's yes. just a funny payoff. Yes, exactly. And I do like that. But I, so, okay. So the crab is pulling the boat. Yes. He's got this electric thing to, which, you know, I don't know exactly the science around behind that, but whatever. Science, um, come on. I man. know, I know. But what? The one thing is just like, okay, he doesn't blow it up. He saves it and then it attacks it. Okay, fine. I just feel like 
this big showdown. I don't know. It the third act of this movie was the one thing where I was like, I like it. I didn't love every second of it. I don't like it's great. The girl's got a cannon on her arm. He's like, Oh, is that a hand cannon? And you know, I there's so many good parts, and then I just don't love the showdown with the crab for some reason. Oh, I like it and a I lot. I, I don't I, know what it is. I just I think the so a couple of things. I think the action is well paced. I love that Amy goes into action. Yeah. And she ends up taking out a few. Again, he's she left. is like capable and she's been taking care of all these old people for a long time. And she's, I, I, I like that. I like having someone who is not a damsel in distress and can hold her own. Yeah. So here's, here's why I think the climax for me works on every level. Amy is capable of holding her own. She's the one that just takes this big steel thing and goes charging. First of all, that whole action sequence and a little bit of the hand-to-hand combat that goes on, it's, I cannot get over how well they film that. And I got to tell you, I get giddy when I see an action sequence like that and the editing is good and you can tell what's going on. There's not a bunch of shaky cam. The pacing and the time she doesn't she doesn't turn into Jason Bourne all of a sudden. No, and I mean she yeah. takes some hits and it feels realistic. But I love also that Joel doesn't turn into this big action hero because for the most part, all up to this film, he's he has his book and he's making notes about all these monsters he comes across. And so for Joel, it isn't really going toe-to-toe with these monsters. It's really about discovering sort of the weaknesses because that's everything that he's writing into this book. And so he's getting these lessons from Clyde and Minnow and he's learning about how do you tell the difference between the good monsters and the bad monsters. And I love the fact that Joel has a choice of, yep, I can blow this thing up or he can take all those things that he learned about the world that he just trekked across for like the last seven days and apply it and you i can I, always tell in their eyes troy yeah and, and i i buy that because i buy what he <laughs> learned and i i buy his actions and again that's where i give this movie a lot of credit is the characters don't act disingenuous to what you've seen leading up to the moment so he did Am- st- he did stab that crab with that metal thing though so that yeah. crab was awfully forgiving but that that's his reactionary thing to it where she's like you go take care of this and you know it's the only thing he has yeah he he does the thing that he does he goes running right at it like an idiot so again what what i really like about this aspect of it is your 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 hero and heroine are doing everything that you would expect based on what you've seen them do up to this point and and the payoff i think is hilarious i i love what happens i mean with with apocalyptic films and i don't know if the walking dead or really set this tone but i feel like anymore you always have to have this look people are just as evil and bad as the monsters out there the yes yeah who is the real monster troy yeah that's that's always gonna be there so they put it into this film and i think the way they did it is actually kind of funny but it doesn't take away from the fact that you still get a big monster showdown and the way that that showdown plays out again, fits in perfectly to what these characters just went through leading up to that. Again, I just, there was just something about the third act that in that showdown with the crab that just, 
I don't know. It felt a little out of place, but then I was thinking like, what would I want besides that? Because you have to have this revelation with a monster to show that, Hey, not all of them are bad. You know, humans can be just as bad. Look at this guy. He's a food stealer. He's on this boat. He's, you know, taking advantage of people. I get it. So I don't know what I wanted as a substitute, but I just, there was something about it that I just did not love every second of it. And up until that point, I was fully on board. I don't know. I don't know. It, it might just be me. I don't know. More my mood or something. I don't know. It just it had to be I, something you ate. Yes. I mean, I did have crab legs last night. So you know, maybe that <laughs> okay. was me trying to get back at that crab. So I don't know. I, well, and again, it might be because that was. I, that sounds I, so bougie. I'm sorry. It was Valentine's Day dinner. So that's why I had crab. I don't no, just no. eat crab legs on a random night. Okay. No, no, no. That's fine. Get your crab <laughs> legs. That's fine. Just They're on sale that. too. So, no. Some filet. Yeah. Um, a nice red. So, yeah. Oh, okay. No, I, I, I really enjoyed it again, though. I'm You're st- probably right. I am wrong. I am wrong about the third act. I will probably admit that there's something that I just didn't click with me, but I'm probably wrong. Well, I'll say this. I, I let me, well, I won't say this. Let me ask you this. Is this a film you're going to go back and visit again soon? Absolutely. Absolutely. I watched it by myself and I think, uh, my wife would absolutely love this movie. I think so too. I, this is one of those that if I'm recommending something to somebody that again, they may look at the title and go, well, that's not for me. It's like, dude, give it, give it a chance. I think you're really going to like this thing. It's paced. Well, the characters are amazing. It's it feels got like a 30 minute film. I know yeah. it's not 30 minutes, but man, but when it's over, I just want more of it. But at the same time, this is one of those films. I, I know where it ends and I'm okay if we never get a sequel. Like I look, I love Tremors and and we have a there's a great podcast out there that does an episode of Tremors that is fantastic, the VHS files, go listen to that. And th- this to me is is a modern day version of Tremors that it's a fun monster film. I think this is way better than Tremors. Yeah, vastly I, better than the Tremors. I love Tremors, but I think yes. this just just beats it by a mile. Hey, Kevin Bacon is not very good at that first Tremors. By the way. <laughs> yeah, can we, I'll give you can that. we stop with that? Yeah, but the the thing about Tremors is if if there was never a Tremors six or five, or I don't know what they're on now, I would have been okay. Tremors was a great film, and th- this is one of those movies that I think they have franchise potential. But this is lightning in a bottle, in my opinion. Well, the thing is, is I think the way they could do that is just do a different colony, right? You oh, don't different have to characters have these, or, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they hear his, you know, or whatever. So you can do something in this universe. You know, we were joking about, you know, cinematic universe, but you could do something in this movie, um, in this well, universe. I'll say this, though. If they, if they bring Dylan O'Brien back, I would be really excited. I, I he, This is one of those films that now, that is a name I'm going to start looking for. Yeah, he's, he's in a movie so good. in 2021 called Infinite or something like that. Antoine Fuqua is directing yeah. it like, I'm seeing that. Hands oh, I'm down. so like, excited for it. I want to yeah. go back and watch American Assassin again now. I mean, I, I might even heck, watch Maze Runner. Yeah, I might check out the Maze Runner film. Which, again, though, I don't know. Knowing that, you know, he almost died making one of them is a little morbid, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, but he's so good. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if he's as good in those movies as he is in this, but he I'll has find to out. be so fantastic in yeah. this film. Well, what else, man? I, I can sit here and I would feel like, 
the rest of the show would be, hey, remember this scene? That was yeah. so cool. And you remember this scene? That was so cool. Yeah, we don't need to be Chris Farley here. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm in love with this film. And the more I watch it, the we, believe it or not, saw a lot of films that came out in 2020 with the pandemic, etc. But I can't think of that many films that came out last year that I am just immediately ready to rewatch over and over again. And this is definitely one of them. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorites from last uh, year was Defy Bloods, but it's like, I'm not going to watch that movie over and over again. The rewatchability of movies, it's, you know, you need to see it and then you could probably watch it again. But this one is like such like an easy watch, which I hate to say that because I feel like that is a look like people is that like a derogatory thing to say to a movie? Like it's easy to watch? I don't think watch? so. I, I, this, like, the thing that always upsets me about shows like the Academy Awards or the Golden Globes, I mean, Golden Globes tries to take two different categories between like comedy and drama. And you would expect that they would give some love to a film like this. But trust me, the even the films that we talked about kind of opening the show in terms of romance films I and mean, we've got jerry Maguire. to me that's a fantastic movie it got tons of love from the academy awards and i'm happy for it but what always upsets me is you get a performance like dylan's in this film and no i i don't think this should be nominated for best picture of 2020 even though it's probably the most fun not, i had it's not like though <laughs> it might be just by default no, yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's exactly. not its not going to be of the caliber of the five bloods or, or something of that nature. But what really irks me is that there's such a great performance. It's a nuanced performance. It's an emotionally powerful performance. And it's not getting any recognition, I think, because it's a monster film. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it is, but it, I mean, the monsters are just kind of, a crux like you know what i'm saying like no i, this, I agree but it's it's like you a said film. this is a road trip movie it, it is, is a it's a guy romantic, and his dog it's, yeah, it's on a road trip to see a girl can we just agree that this is like one of the best valentine's day films i mean it's yeah. got it's got everything yeah that you're looking for on valentine's day for the guys they're gonna love the monsters for the girls they're gonna love dylan and they're gonna love the dylan amy relationship but this thing's got everything to just, I think, in my opinion, to please everybody who's looking for like a Valentine's Day film that's that's just going to hit all, I don't know. It's just going to, whatever, but, what? So let me let me ask you one last thing. Yeah. So in the end, well, not in the end, the end, but he essentially is sort of rejected by her. Right. Um, then he saves the day. And she's like, oh, you know, you're my hero, yada, yada, yada. He's like, well, technically I had this family back in this other colony that now that I'm here, I've realized that they mean so much to me and I want to go back and see them. And he leaves her, you know, but he has made this journey 80 miles and he believes, oh, I can do it again. And he goes back to his colony and so, you know, it, it, it's one of these things where he leaves her, you know, there's not this moment where, yes, they have a moment and then he leaves and then he gets another moment with his family back at the, his original colony. Um, and then I think the movie might go on a little bit too long with him 
sending out this thing like hey if i can do it we can all do it let's open up the hatch and go like yeah okay like we get it but you know again not playing into the tropes is he leaves and he goes back because you know he thought this was going to be his happy place but it turns out his happy place was where he was well yeah so and then his happy place is let's go to this place up in the mountains where we can all be safe and yada 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 amy will eventually get there yeah because i've seen her in action i know she can do it or whatever yeah i I don't know if it's more about his happy place but he's he found his place in the world so our good friend jose who who was on for showgirls (laughs) we we were chatting about this and he makes um the comparison that joel's journey is very much like nomi's journey in showgirls that by the end of the film nomi finds herself right so that that's how that movie's supposed to end and she's going on to los angeles which is like the next dangerous place outside of las vegas so it, he's kind of right if you look at the comparison between love and Monsters i can't, I can't even like disagree with that but yeah they have the same ending which to me blows my mind thank you jose for opening my eyes on that one you can't unsee that now. Yeah, that Love and Monsters is is really, you know, the ending of Love and Monsters is Showgirls. But it does hammer home that Joel, from a character perspective, sa- thinks that his place in, in, in the world is to go find Amy. So that is the catalyst for all of his actions. And then when he gets there, that journey and discovering boy dis- discovering Clyde and Minnow, but more importantly discovering himself i mean that journey is where he finds his place in life and he comes to the conclusion like no wait a second my place in life is to go back not not to go home with those people but to go home and help those people to get them to the mountains because he under he's he's finding himself to be the leader and it really i don't know i really like that ending because you made the comment about is this the right movie to sort of release in 2020? I mean, if you're talking about the post-apocalyptic scenario and all the crap that went down in sort of a fire dumpster year, you kind of need a movie like Love and Monsters to go, dude, it is a total shit show out there, but we can make it. Like if we band together from a relationship standpoint, we take care of each other, we're going to go out there and we're going to be just fine. And I love, I mean, this thing has a pretty good inspirational message and to come out in a year like 2020, I don't know. I wish more people had seen it. No, no. Yes. I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, except for the part where they say, Hey, let's all leave our bunkers and go scatter about like, no, stay home, be safe. But well, the, the only bunker I was concerned about was the family that was going up the steps and you see that little scooter, that wheelchair scooter. Yeah, you're like, oh my God, that family's not going to make it. <laughs> but, 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 but what I'm saying is, is like, yes, you're 100% right, but you got to watch the movie, right? Yeah. So like anyone who's like, eh, but it's, you know, this post-apocalyptic thing and yada, 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 I, I know how that goes. Like, again, on the surface, people are going to be like, well, I don't know if I'm in the mood for something that's like that. I get it. You're right. You should, because it's, it's very inspirational, especially in these times, but you know, you can't be a lazy bum and sit at home and not want to, you know what I'm saying? Like people look on the surface of a movie called love and monsters. That's about the post-apocalypse 
it's going to turn off a lot of people in 2020 2021 probably oh i i totally agree well i don't i think it turns people off because people would look at this and even so now i've gone back and looked at the trailer i think people would look at that and go zombie lane clone or they go it looks like a cheesy monster film yeah i mean it is a zombie i mean there it it takes a lot from zombie lane like there's a lot it takes a lot from so that whole description of a john hughes love story mad max zombie land post whatever it i is. said there's a lot of like stand by me in this movie like the movie stand yeah, by it, me like it does it borrows got... from so many different films but i think it takes those films and what you might be used to and just turns it on its head to a certain degree heck it borrows from showgirls i know <laughs> i can't i can't jose That's is awesome. brilliant for that yes i gotta tell you yes well, what else, man? I I feel like we've poured on like yeah, an hour's yeah. worth of love to this. I one. hate the, you know, we don't do this very often. You and I don't usually agree so wholeheartedly on things um, to the point where we're this both- is one of those. The minute I saw I, I there are very few films that I come across that I 100 percent within the film circle of friends that I'm like, you're going to love this one. What was it about it that you knew? Well, I know we both like monster films. Yep. And the thing that I know about you is you don't want the boring vanilla. I've seen it. You could take a film and they could do that trope, you know, just in an excellent manner and hit on all the cylinders from an action perspective or horror perspective, et cetera. But I know sometimes you will slight a film for just doing the same thing and not bringing anything original. Yeah. And the minute I saw this, and you saw the the great chemistry between all the dynamics we talked about yeah just the monster design and where this film goes and how surprising and charming it is i immediately thought that you would really enjoy this film no yeah and i and i and i did and i mean again we've said it i don't know how many times the performances especially joel's is or you know dylan's playing joel is top notch it's amazing. It's so good. It's so it's good. One of the, it's one of the best out there. In That's not hyperbole. No, you're, you're no. right. You're right. Yeah. Well, I, dude, I hate to ask the question because I think it's pretty obvious. So Brad yeah. is, is not Love a monster is a bomb. Not a bomb. Not, not even a close. bomb at all. Please. Not even close. Folks, I, look, you, this, you may look at the poster. You may look at the trailer and you go, eh, it's not for me. I am telling you 100%. You have to go and see this film. For for one of two reasons, you got to go see it because of Dylan's performance. This guy's amazing. And then secondly, I want to see Michael Matthews, the director, do more films. I yeah, really I want to. Yeah, I mean, now again, we've seen directors who take these, who get mid, like mid budget films. We'll keep right. saying that phrase, and then they get his next film say someone throws $75 million at him. And so now his idea isn't as concise and something happens and he gets too big. Like I almost want him to kind of make something around this size again, but let it get a wide release and see how successful he can be. Because I feel like I, I feel so, this is one of those films I feel so bad that didn't get like a wide release in the theater because oh, I absolutely. feel like it could have done huge, like not, not like $500 million huge, but like a hundred million dollars. I think this film definitely could have like caught on and, I, I and, think and definitely made was, some waves. 
I think this guy would be great in a franchise. So you know how Disney, Marvel's, you know, Lucasfilms, all of them are looking for a director that can work within that system. If you think about this, I mean, Paramount was sitting on this thing from 2012 and obviously it's changing hands. So, you know, it takes what, seven, eight years in order to see light a day. And we, and we talk about it all the time. These films that are in this purgatory sort of development hell. And when they come out, they're terrible. And this yeah. one is the exact opposite of that. So, well, and, and it's not his screenplay. So he's purely the director. Yeah. So this is a director who comes on the scene and says, it's not my property. I'm being attached to it after everybody else who knows has been writing scripts or attached to it. So he takes this screenplay and he just makes a freaking fantastic movie. I'm with you. I would like to see the next sort of mid-range film that he does. But I wouldn't be surprised if somebody came along and said, oh, we're picking you up. And all of a sudden you're doing Captain Marvel 8 or whatever, Garden, Guardians yeah. of Galaxy 6. Yeah. Uh, Suicide Squad 4. I mean, I see this guy probably being able to maneuver that studio setup and all those different, you know, chefs in the kitchen telling him what he should do or shouldn't do in the script rewrites. And heck, I mean, if he took this property and came to the table with something this good and got those type of performances from everybody, I mean, as much as we're talking about Dylan O'Brien, I mean, Jessica Henwick, Michael Rooker, I mean, all of them are fantastic. Yeah, there's not a bad performance. I mean, again, there's not a whole lot of performances, but none of them are bad. Even the captain is He's like great. on the screen for 10 minutes and immediately you hate him. Oh yeah. It's so good. It's so and, good. And hero and dodge. I mean, yeah. come on. He's got to have a dog in his next movie. Like absolutely. He's got Here, I, I can't wait to see what hero and dodge. do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. 2020s love and monsters. Please give this thing some love. Go out and, buy it. Don't rent it. Buy it. I know you're going to watch this over and over again once you discover it. So listen, save yourself some money. Go buy it. Share it with everybody. And um, Brad, if if somebody wants to, I don't know, get a hold of us and tell us how much they love this film. Now, please, if you don't like this film, don't write to us. <laughs> I'd like to hear how, honestly, how someone could not like this movie. They're dead inside. That's the only well, thing. Well, I, I usually am pretty dead inside. That's true. You're pretty dead inside too. All right. Well, listen, um, I know we got some listener emails. So before we read that, how do people get a hold of us to tell us uh, their thoughts and opinions? That is not a bomb pod at gmail.com for recommendations, comments, um, all that stuff. And on that topic, um, our friend Nathan um, sent us and said that he has a um, recommendation of the rules of attraction. He said it was a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it did recover its budget, but just barely. So we will see that. We'll add it to the list. Um, I will say. <laughs> 2002, look, right? Yeah. I was looking at our list and one of the films that was coming up was going to be Haywire. And I'm still debating on whether or not we do Haywire <laughs> right now. I don't know if that's necessarily Give something that some I want to get bit. into. Because we just missed the Josh Whedon stuff, and I feel like maybe we should let good old Gina, you know, go off into the sunset for a while before we, you know, do her film. So maybe I'll slide that one in. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna say I now. called that, but uh, yeah, you were all over that. It was, all well, over. it was it was the thing I remember. I remember hearing about it a long time ago. And again, yeah. I'll say this again: she she was one of my favorite things about that series. So 
uh, that always didn't set well with me. I just didn't know how deep it went, but yeah, I, I'm with you. We, we might have to kind of put that one down. I, I think it's one we need to talk about because that director, I really want to talk about that. director. Well, yes. Yes. But I also, so I was talking to someone about that and they sent me this thing where I didn't know this, but apparently uh, they had to pull a flash Gordon on Gina Carraro in that movie because she was so bad at acting that they had to dub over her. So I didn't know that. So um, I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what the article said. But anyway, so Haywire was on our list, but I don't want to, I don't want to get into that right now. So we'll probably move that out of that spot. So that's anyway, um, you can follow us on all the social medias, uh, not a bomb pod, you know, and Nathan, thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, yes, so I just absolutely. looked at it and it's something that has piqued my curiosity. So I, I love the fact that I think you and I are always looking for recommendations, but I love stuff like this that for me comes out of left field and was nowhere close on my radar because we do have things that people it's will got talk the, to us it's about. It's got the beak in it. It's got James Vanderbeek in it. Yeah. And, and again, I'd never seen it. I, I remember it coming out, but I absolutely love those type of recommendations that it might not be exactly my wheelhouse. It's definitely not on my radar and, it, and it's going to force me to kind of go out and seek out and watch this thing. Yeah. And it's also got a very, I know Roger Avery is the director of that. He was a what writer on what film, Troy? Um, Rhinestone? Pulp Fiction. Oh, oh. sorry. I smacked my mic when I did that. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. Uh, oh, so anyway. Pulp Fiction. Here we go. Uh, so on this day where we show love to people, Troy, I want to tell everyone, thank you for listening to our show, uh, to having all of our guests on who have helped promote our show. Um, I am humbled by people wanting to come on here and talk with us. Um, I do this because a part of me wants to talk to you all the time about stuff. Another part of me is I have to do this for work now and lead meetings and being able to practice every week um, helps a lot because um, I have a little bit of anxiety about it, but this has helped quite a bit. Um, so the fact that people listen and the, we have friends who want to come on and and do this with us is, is quite humbling and, and something that I, I appreciate very much. Yeah. I, I, man, what do you add? I don't know. I'm every time I meet a new person and we start talking about films, it's amazing to me how many texts and emails that we've gotten of people we've interacted with that we never knew even before doing the podcast. And I'm Absolutely. really super excited about using this as sort of a connection especially, I mean, we're still for the, for the most part in a pandemic. So travel's limited. Um, Brad, you and I don't get to just go to all the places together and, and yeah. see the groups of people. So this has become one of those things that has been our way to connect. But I'm, I'm always so surprised at how many people discover the show. And I mean, let's be honest. We've had Sammy from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Dude, that, that show's thousand times better than ours i love that show um josh from the vhs podcast files i mean the quality of that show i i i feel <laughs> i feel like one day we'll get there but i don't know us is this is just two guys with a microphone talking about movies that i don't know we, we want to talk about and i pick films that i either know brad's gonna like or i know brad's <laughs> gonna not like and i like picking the ones brad is not gonna like <laughs> only because I really enjoy hearing his perspective. And I, I can't, like Brad, thank everybody enough for, for just listening and participating. It, it is truly humbling. So I 
Thank you. Yep. So do you want to hear what we're doing next week? I'm super curious because we've, this has been an interesting year. We've taken a lot of the recommendations that people have sent us. So that was a lot of January. Uh, this February, we've started incorporating things that have been on the list. And I think we're starting to kind of get through that top 10 yep. list that we initially sort of created almost a year ago when we, when we kicked this thing off. So what's, I'm, I have no idea what's coming up next. What do we got? So going back to the science fiction, well, um, it's a science fiction, like psychological thriller from 2007, um, directed by Danny Boyle, which would be pretty interesting. Uh -oh. The Sunshine. With Michelle Yeoh. With Michelle Yeoh. And Chris Evans. Yes. Rose oh. Byrne. Cillian no, no. Murphy. Michelle Yeoh. Yes. Michelle and Chris Yeo. Evans. Yes. Our friend Brett will be coming on. Um, I know when he was on the for, was it? Streets of Fire, I think we yes. mentioned that, uh, you know, I this refer is to one that of, as the meatloaf episode. Yeah, the meatloaf episode. Um, you know, he was talking about that. So we're, we're finally getting around to do Sunshine. Danny Boyle should be an interesting conversation. So, yeah. I'm excited for that. Now, you and I are coming into that with, um, I mean, we, we've seen that film a few times. Oh, I've, yes, I've seen it countless times. So it'd be interesting. That, I'm, I'm really excited for that. Good pick, Brad. Really Thank good you. pick. Thank February you. is shaping up to be uh, a really interesting month. Yeah, there's a lot going on with Sunshine too. Um, you know, a lot of the influences on that movie, things like that. So it should be a good discussion. I some tells me we're going to talk about Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, you think? <laughs> <laughs> think? What else, Brad? Are we missing anything? Uh, no, no. I again, I appreciate everyone listening and supporting. I'm just some dude that likes to talk to Troy on the internet and. That's about it. So that's not creepy. No, exactly. <laughs> well, hey, can um, I get that sexy voice on the outro though? On the outro? Yeah. I, I don't know. Ugh. But Brad, I got to tell you, I've enjoyed spending Valentine's Day with you. We've had a pretty good run. I mean, you and I have been together for what, 15 years now? Uh, yeah. It's almost, years? yeah. 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 You followed me on Instagram. So, you know, I we're... finally followed you on Instagram. I think I unfollowed you for about a day and then went back because i couldn't quit you because you complete me brad yes, so exactly. i went back to following you but yeah thank you for spending valentine's evening with me and folks i don't i don't know when you're listening to this i hope you had an awesome valentine's day i hope your february is going good uh out here in the baltimore area it is freaking cold so i'm getting I'm ready to get like ready a for foot spring. of snow i'm getting a foot of snow like right now so yeah, if you're in the cold parts, please stay safe. And uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. Hope you're having an awesome day. We had an awesome time talking about Love and Monsters. Do yourself a favor. If you haven't seen that film, go out and go see it. Go see that movie. Absolutely. So with that, have an awesome day. And we will catch you next week when we talk about Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye.